0: You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando
1: Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed a Locked On Magic. Today is May 15th, 2020. My name is Philip Rossman-Reich. I'm the expert and insight editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. Of course, follow me on Twitter at philip, RR, underscore ond On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we're putting in our contribution to this week's What If Week on Locked On Podcast Network. By asking a question I have always been curious about and probably too afraid or too naive to look a little bit deeper into. Today we're going to ask, what would have happened if the Orlando Magic had faced the Seattle Supersonics in the 1996 NBA Finals? It is a question I have often pondered and a question that I unfortunately may have found an answer to. But before we get into any of that, I do want to remind you all that you check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network by searching download podcasts for download podcast for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like this podcast here covering the Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, there's a podcast covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care and detail that you can only find from a local expert who knows their team best. Well, I wish I could tell you to go check out Locked On Sonics, but I guess saying check out Locked On Thunder would be an insult to all Sonics fans anywhere. So, Maybe do that, do that another time. Don't do that today. But you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network, whether it's Locked On Seahawks or Locked On Mariners for NFL and MLB. Uh, we also have great NHL and college podcasts too, in addition to the great NBA podcasts. No matter what team you're interested in, except for the Seattle Supersonics, because unfortunately they don't exist, no matter what team you're interested in, there's a Locked On podcast for you. Just search for every download podcast for Locked On and the team you're looking for. The Locked On Podcast Network It's your team every day. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Before we dive into the matchup, let's set the table a little bit to take you all the way back to 1996. We just saw it actually play out on the last episode of The Last Dance and while I personally feel like the Magic were the main antagonist for Michael Jordan in the 1996 season, although not much of one since he disposed of them so quickly, the Seattle Supersonics were actually a very, very good team. Uh, and we'll get to them here in just a minute, but let's update where the Magic were at entering the 1995-96 season. The line of Magic had just come off losing in the 1995 NBA Finals and Michael Jordan was indeed back. No one knew that there would be a 72-10 season, and no one knew that the Chicago Bulls would be as dominant as they were. And so everyone around the league figured the Eastern Conference was going to come down to the established, championship-driven Chicago Bulls, now with Dennis Rodman, and the young up-and-coming, and now with some championship seasoning, Orlando Magic sorry Indiana, sorry New York, your windows came, your windows closed. Well, not entirely in Indiana's case, and kind of not entirely in New York's case. But the Eastern Conference belonged to the Orlando Magic and the Chicago Bulls, and it was inevitable that they would meet in the Eastern Conference Finals. Getting to that point, though, was a bit different. Yes, Orlando won a franchise record 60 games in that 1996 season. Yes, Orlando won its second straight Atlantic Division Championship. Yes, Orlando was right back where they were dominating in the playoffs, sweeping the Detroit Pistons, beating the Atlanta Hawks in 5-2, set up that matchup with the Chicago Bulls. But getting there was much, much different. It's completely different, in fact. A preseason game between the Orlando Magic and, I believe it was the Charlotte, or I believe still with the Miami Heat, but um, a preseason game for the Orlando Magic ended with Matt Geiger and Shaquille O'Neal throwing hands and Shaq breaking his hand. Shaq misses the first 22 games of the regular season. And Penny Hardaway is pushed to the front. The 1996 season is perhaps Penny Hardaway's best individual season of his career. He dominated dominated his entire time there and was named to his first All-NBA first team. Not Shaq. Shaq was second team behind David Robinson. Not Sean Kemp, not Gary Payton, who we'll talk about here in a moment. Penny had to carry the team, and it was really then that the Magic first learned that, yes, Penny is a pretty darn good player in his own right. Among the wins, of course, without Shaq in the lineup was the first loss handed to the Chicago Bulls in Orlando, with John Koncak starting at center. The magic had the same cast of characters virtually. John Conkac was added to the mix as the backup center after Tree Rollins retired uh, and and went to the coach went to the coaching staff. Um, but same cast of characters: Nick Anderson, Penny Hardaway, Dennis Scott, Horace Grant, Shaquille O'Neal, Anthony Bowie, Donald Royal off the bench, John Conkac. Same same reliable group. And the Magic still raced out and got the best record in franchise history at 60 wins. But And then they had Shaq back and everything's back off to the races. But of course, it was not all good. Because the Chicago Bulls were really, 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 really good. Were they sweep the Orlando line no Magic good? No, they were not. Well, maybe they were. But they probably weren't. By the time the Orlando Magic reached the 1996 Eastern Conference Finals, Horace Grant injured his hand, injured his wrist, I believe, in game one and missed the rest of the series. So now Orlando's down a key player, and they didn't have a lot of help at the four. Jeff Turner played a little bit at the four. They didn't have a lot of depth on this team. You look at the 1996 roster, you're not looking at a whole lot. David, they drafted David Vaughn out of Memphis. They had Joe Wolf, who, fan favorite Joe Wolf. They had Jeff Turner, of course. Not a lot of depth on this team. Daryl Armstrong started playing a little bit as a, as a third string point guard, fighting off Brooks Thompson. Uh, may he rest in peace. It, it, this wasn't a particularly deep team. And as injuries hit the Magic, things got worse. Orlando lost an 18 point lead in game two of that Eastern Conference final series with Chicago and could never really recover emotionally from it. Nick Anderson was nursing an injury, eventually would miss Game 4. Brian Shaw would also miss Game 4. So you're down two starters and three rotation players, down 3-0 against one of the best players and one of the best teams in NBA history. Game 4 of that Eastern Conference Finals series was essentially a done deal. The Magic played tough, it was a tight game in the fourth quarter. But the Bulls were obviously the better team. And they made the NBA Finals and, of course, made history once again. For a long time, just based on record, without really studying and remembering much about this team, I, I, would, argue, I would sometimes argue that this 1996 team was better than the '95 team in the same way that I argue the 2010 team is better than the 2009 team. But that's wrong. That's completely wrong in this case. In fact... The 1996 Magic, despite the 60 wins, might be the worst of the Magic's championship teams. And yes, I, I even though they didn't win the title, I will still refer to them as the championship teams. This was probably the worst of those four teams. Whereas in 1985, the Magic had a historic offense. Offense took a step back. This team didn't have the same kind of depth of that previous team. You know, Anthony Avent gave some good minutes. Jeff Turner gave some good minutes. Turner struggled throughout this this season. Playing in only 33 games. Playing in only 13 games. Excuse me, he's 33 years old. Playing in only 13 games, so he had he had an injury that year. Orlando just could not get the same intensity and the same focus that they had the year before. And of course, as this magic moment Revealed pretty plainly, there was a problem of more issue. There was a disease of more issue. I'm going to refer to the disease of disease of more a lot here because that is it plays a role in the, in the story of both the Orlando Magic and the Seattle SuperSonics. The disease of more is a is a phrase coined by Pat Riley, um, and it basically describes that anytime a group experiences success, repeating that success becomes more difficult because. You've experienced group success, and so now you look to get yours, especially in a place like the NBA. There's more marketing opportunity. You want the ball a little bit more. Contracts start running out. And all of a sudden, not everyone is pulling toward the same goal. Some people have ulterior motives. And for sure in that 1996 season, there was some disease of more issues, particularly when it came to Shaquille O'Neal and Anfernee Haraway It is... This magic moment, frankly, papered over it. It mentioned it, it it certainly brought it up, but there was definitely some tension, whether created by the players or created by the media, created by other forces between those two superstars. Certainly Shaq, a Reebok athlete, and Penny, a Nike athlete, were competing for shoe brands, for shoe supremacy, on the same team. And Shaq, of course, had a Reebok ad where he knocked little Penny off his pedestal. In fact, Shaq... Probably bristled a little bit at how popular Penny was becoming. Penny's still incredibly popular in Orlando. Although Penny would Penny would later say that he was surprised at how popular he still remained in Orlando with how nasty his exit was in, in 1999 or in 2000 or before the 2000 season. Excuse me. And of course, there was the infamous Sentinel poll, which would further cement that the team, the Magic viewed this as Penny's team. The city viewed this as Penny's team. And that ultimately, that feeling at least, that feeling of not being valued, ultimately pushed Shaq out the door and ended the Magic's championship window and perhaps Domino's tipping over led to Penny's body deteriorating pretty quickly. Orlando was still able to pull it together despite all this to have a historic season. Dennis Scott setting the three-point record, all that jazz. The Magic were still an incredibly revolutionary team. But it wasn't the same as 95. The same intensity, the same Magic, pun intended, was not there as there was the year before. The Magic simply could not repeat the success and especially, especially going up against an all-time great team. One of the greatest teams in NBA history. Especially going up against that team and the Chicago Bulls. The Magic never stood a chance. The reality was the Magic's disappearing act I'm I'm, I'm full of puns today. The Magic's disappearing act was disappointing. Disappointing because like i said earlier in the week when i talked about the last dance from this from from last weekend from last sunday as i said then the magic were in the best position to usurp and defeat the chicago bulls and the same way the bulls defeated the pistons the magic were in the best position to beat the bulls to take their place on the mountaintop they were the young up and coming team they needed to be humbled They needed to understand what a real championship team looked like. They got that against the Rockets. They got it again against the Bulls. And that should have been their mountain to climb. And of course, the Magic never stayed together long enough to do that. But there's a reason the Magic still resonate all these years later. And it's the same reason the Sonics resonate all these years later. The Sonics and the Magic represented the future of the NBA. They both represented what the NBA could be. High-flying, sometimes trash-talking, fast-breaking, dunking all over you. Dynamic, athletic, energetic, charismatic. This should have been the rivalry that defined the league. But like the Magic, the Sonics too had their problems. And when they finally made their breakthrough, when they finally broke down the doors, the same problems entered the picture as Orlando and cut short what was really a fascinating and exciting young team. Hey, we, we all want to be big and strong like Shaquille O'Neal and Sean Kemp. We all want to fly through the air like them, too. I mean, those are probably, you know, the Magic and Sonics, you know, if you go play NBA Jam down at your local arcade, do, do arcades still exist? I know where one arcade is with NBA Jam in, in Orlando, but uh, they're not open right now. Uh, but uh, the Sonics and Magic are undoubtedly two of the most popular teams for that very reason. They have two of the highest flying, fun dunkers in NBA history and if you want to build on the workout that you're using to put on the weight to be just like your favorite players. You know, not too much weight. We don't we don't want Magic Sean Kemp. We don't want Lakers or Suns Shaquille O'Neal. We want Sonics Kemp, we want Magic O'Neal. That's the sweet spot we're going for. If you want to supplement your workout and do so with a tasty tasty snack. Built bars are the protein bar for you. They are the protein bar That tastes like a candy bar coming in 16 amazing flavors. And I saw that they just announced that Cookies and Cream is back. Yummy, 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 yummy. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. Built Bars are healthy and great for the health-conscious person. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. With great flavors such as the Cookies and Cream that I mentioned, peanut butter brownie, and mint brownie too. Go to Biltbar.com and use promo code LockedOn, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LockedON for $10 off at BiltBar.com.
0: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: The one thing that I think is, is so fascinating uh, about a potential Magic Sonics matchup is is, again, like I said, these teams really represented the future of the NBA in the mid-90s. Yes, you know you had your your New York Knicks and your Indiana Pacers and your Utah Jazzes and your Houston Rockets, but they were all essentially contemporaries of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was drafted in nineteen eighty six. Patrick Ewing, Clyde Drexler, drafted in eighty five. Uh, Reggie Miller was drafted in eighty seven, I believe. Um, Hakeem Olajuwon also drafted in eighty six with Jordan. Barkley drafted in eighty six with Jordan. All these guys essentially came up into the league at the same time as Jordan. They were all on the same career trajectories. But then you get Gary Payton, the second overall pick in the 1990 NBA draft. Sean Kemp drafted in 91. Shaquille O'Neal drafted in 92. Anthony Hardaway drafted in 93. These players came up in the league when Jordan was already dominant. These guys had downs. These guys had next. And it was really shocking is how quickly the Seattle Supersonics became contenders. From the 1993 season to 1998, the Sonics won at least 50 games, and they reached the Western Conference Finals twice. Unfortunately, though, the Sonics are remembered more for their postseason failures. The 96 season was certainly their breakthrough, but they were the it, until the Magic came around in 95, they were the it young team. They were the team that everyone put their hopes in. And again, they were fun to watch. They dunked. Kemp was an athletic marvel who was a better passer than people gave him credit for, a better shooter than people gave him credit for, and frankly, yeah, a better defender and shot blocker than a lot of people gave him credit for. Kemp was a monster that nobody really knew how to handle. Maybe a little unrefined in his postgame, which was important at the time, but in transition, he was devastating. Gary Payton was, as we all saw in the last dance a dogged defender, one of the best defenders in the league who, despite Michael Jordan's laughter, really did do a good job on Jordan in that NBA Finals. In the final three games of that 1996 NBA Finals, Jordan only averages 23 points per game. This is a guy who's accustomed to averaging at least 30 points per game. He only scored 27 per game in that final series, his worst of his six NBA Finals, and he shot just 31%. The Sonics took two of those three games. It was no fluke. George Carl made a mistake not putting Gary Payton on Michael Jordan. That was a huge tactical error. And that's not to say that the Bulls still wouldn't win that series. They probably would have. But the Sonics were game. And they were always game. They were always a tough, tough out. But again, their postseason, or their record, is marked by postseason failure. Most notably, the 1994 first round. The Seattle Supersonics had the top seed in the Western Conference when they became the first one seed to lose to an eight seed in the first round. The Kembe Matumbo on the floor screaming in joy at, on the Tacoma Tacoma Dome floor uh, is one of the enduring images of the 1990s. It is it is you know we still we still talk and remember that. And the the Sonics just couldn't seem to get themselves over the hump. The Rockets beat them. The Jazz beat them. The Suns beat them all on their way to their own finals opportunities. Seattle was always there. They were always dangerous. But they were always the bridesmaid too. Never the bride. Why that is the case is still a bit of a mystery. Maybe it was that Sean Kemp wasn't good enough for what was needed in the 90s. Stick Sean Kemp in today's NBA. He's probably, honestly, honestly Sean Kemp was Zion Williamson. You know, Zion Williamson's probably a little bit bigger, but Sean Gimp was Zion Williamson. Nobody knew how to handle him, and frankly at that time, and Zion's probably the same way, nobody knew how to use him. The NBA just wasn't a, quick, uh, a completely innovative league. But George Carl did do some innovative things with the Seattle Supersonics. Our old pal George Carl, big rival of the Orlando Magic at all points of his career. He did do some innovative things. They were a trapping defense, They went after guys hard so they could create turnovers and get out in transition. They made every pass difficult. And the Sonics were one of the best defensive teams in the league in the 1996 season. They were second or third in the league in defensive rating, if I'm not mistaken. They had solid shooters in Sam Perkins and Detlef Schrempf. Sean Kemp could step out and hit a three. Gary Payton could hit a three. Hersey Hawkins. Even Vincent Askew for a little while could shoot a little bit. But the most important thing was they could really defend. And that fed everything that they did. And Gary Payton was a smart defender. They had really good defenders. And Nate McMillan, Gary Payton, Vincent Asky was a good defender. They lacked the true center, Frank Bukowski and, uh, and Irvin Johnson, not really true centers, especially at that time, but they protected Kemp, and that was what was most important at the end of the day, and the Sonics would slide Kemp to the center to play Perkins, and they'd play a really big lineup. And in, a, in a league that didn't have a lot of length at the time, Shrimp, Perkins, and Kemp was a really difficult trio to handle. And so Seattle could swarm you, and they could be really, 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 really tough to figure out. And they were tough to figure out. They were one of the toughest teams in the league. The Magic struggled with Seattle Throughout the entire early part of their franchise's existence, entering the season, they were the Sonics were twelve and four against the against the Magic after the ninety six season. Orlando had just one win in Seattle. In fact, during the nineteen ninety five season, two teams beat the Magic at, on the Orlando arena floor. Seattle was one of them. The Sonics won 64 games. They were the top seed in the Western Conference. And their meeting with the Bulls was by no means inevitable. You know, you don't question the heart of a champion. But Seattle beat another team that had a lot of playoff heartache in the Utah Jazz in the Western Conference Finals and finally made their trip to the NBA Finals. They finally had their breakthrough moment. And they faced an all-time great team. Unfortunately for Seattle, the same forces that, bet, that broke the magic broke the Sonics too. Sean Kemp was just being paid $3 million that year. And Seattle tried to pay, and, and as we saw with Shaquille O'Neal, the financial realities of the NBA changed dramatically overnight. Suddenly, $3, $4, 5000000 million is not what you paid a max guy or not what you paid a high-end guy. Salaries ballooned overnight. It caught the magic by surprise and was almost certainly one of the reasons they lost Shaquille O'Neal at the end of the day. The Hornets lost Alonzo Morning to Miami Heat for the very same reason. And add in all the problem of more issues, add in the kind of the, the, the frustrations with Penny Hardaway, the frustrations with how the franchise was treating him, and Shaq was gone. Sean Kemp wasn't a free agent yet, but Seattle was preparing to give a lot of money to Jim McElvain, who is not even a career backup, and Kemp could not get his contract renegotiated, and that frustrated him, and so he played much of the '97 season kind of pouting. Before the Sonics eventually traded him to the Buck or to the Cavs as part of a three-team deal. Before the 1998 season, and then the lockout happened, and Sean Kemp's weight ballooned as much as his salary did. That is the unfortunately sad story of how both the Magic and the Sonics came to an end. Two teams that really held a lot of promise around the league. I mean, the Spurs were still there. Don't get me wrong. Tim Duncan was on his way in 1997. But if you had to ask anyone who was going to succeed Jordan, who was going to be the next dynasty in the league, it was the Orlando Magic or the Seattle Supersonics. There could be no other answer, to be frank. They were, I mean, yeah, maybe you could say the Hornets. Maybe with Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning. But it was the Magic and the Sonics. Those were the serious contenders to dominate the next decade of the league. And unfortunately, neither of them did. But this is a what-if show. This is a show to ponder things that did not happen now that we've laid what down what did happen. How would these two teams match up and who would have won the 1996 NBA Finals if the Bulls weren't part of the picture? Now that's a question that I have been thinking about for a long time and I think I finally might have a little bit of an answer to it. So as I said, how would these teams match up? What would have happened in the 1996 NBA Finals if the Magic had faced the Seattle Supersonics? I don't think this is an easy matchup for either team. I think both teams would have their advantages. Obviously, Gary Payton is extremely good defender, able to get under even bigger, bigger players. So he could guard a 6'6", Michael Jordan, and he could probably defend a 6'7", Anthony Hardaway, although Penny Hardaway could also get his licks in as well. No team has any answer for Shaquille O'Neal either. Yes, you could maybe put Sean Kemp on him and and they had some some bigs that they could throw at him and and use fouls and and, and a simulated series that I did, free throw shooting, was a very big determining factor. But Shaquille O'Neal is still a problem for everyone. However, as I said, the Seattle Supersonics did a very good job against the Orlando Magic. Always have, always did at least. It was never easy to win in Seattle, and it was never easy to beat the Sonics. This was just always a very tough team for the Magic. And frankly, with how the Magic sometimes ran their offense, trying to post up Dennis Scott, and trying to really rely on their size and speed to beat other teams, Seattle can counteract a lot of that. Seattle has a stretch four and three-point shooting. They have size at every position. And I think one of the reasons the... Seattle Supersonics were able to or the Chicago Bulls were able to beat the Seattle Supersonics is they had a guy like Tony Kuko. Tony who could defend Detlef Schrempf. That's where I think the real key to this series is. The Magic simply do not have enough size to go around to guard another 6'10 forward who can shoot. The Orlando Magic blew out the Seattle Supersonics in their first game in early January but their second game in Seattle was a much different story. After Shaquille O'Neal put back with about 40 seconds left, the Orlando Magic took a 99-93 lead over the Seattle Supersonics and looked like Orlando was going to be able to get away with a win. But coming out of the timeout, Sam Perkins hit a three. Then Dennis Scott turned the ball over, Hersey Hawkins lays it in, and all of a sudden, five quick points, it's a one-point game. Orlando does work to get an open shot for Nick Anderson, but on the ensuing rebound, the Sonics run in transition and Schrempf hits a jumper to give the Sonics the 199 lead and eventually the win. The reality is that as good as the Magic could be, as good as the Magic were in 1995 for sure, their offense was still fairly one-dimensional. They worked very hard to get post-ups and tried to use Nick Anderson's size over smaller guards as well as Dennis Scott's size over smaller forwards to get shots and to get shots close to the basket. They weren't running much motion or much of an offense like we would see today. And they could dump the ball into Shaq and dump the ball into Penny. They're always working to get post-ups, not a lot of pick-and-roll action. And frankly, having watched some of the 1995 team, the ball sometimes found its way to the wrong guy. And the style of the day was whoever has the ball tries to isolate and create that way. The plain fact is a lot of the matchup advantages that the Magic had against a lot of teams they did not have against the Sonics. And that's because of a guy like Detlef Schrempf. That's because the Sonics did have good shooters. Nate McMillan could hit a little bit from the outside. Perkins could drag someone away from the paint. Kemp could drag someone away from the paint. And Orlando still showed a lot of youthful frustrations and, and, and made a lot of young mistakes. And against a pressure defense, against a, a, a fairly disciplined pressure defense that Seattle put on, Orlando made mistakes. Orlando probably needed one more playmaker. Maybe that playmaker should have been Nick Anderson. But Nick Anderson, you know, had kind of established himself more as a spot-up shooter and occasional post-up player rather than a, a playmaker and scorer. And obviously he had his free throw issues after the 95 season. The magic just didn't have necessarily the depth to really compete in a playoff series against really quality teams. When they could overwhelm you with talent, they were better and more talented than just about anyone. I'm not here to say that the Sonics would win the series easily or that it wouldn't be a back-and-forth series. Orlando would get their looks in just like Seattle would. But I think Seattle was the better team, and I, I, I believe for a long time that they weren't. Maybe that was just my, you know, my homerism. I'm a little I can be a little bit of a homer, especially with those early 90s with those mid 90s teams. but Seattle was probably the better team. Seattle was probably going to win the championship, if not for the Bulls. That magic team was flawed, didn't have a lot of depth. Outside of their main guys didn't have a lot of shooting. And frankly, they were not on the same page that season. Even in the playoffs. Or when certainly when adversity hit them. They just were not on the same page. And perhaps that necessitated change in the offseason. Certainly not Shaq change, but the Magic certainly had, had some pieces of the puzzle they needed to fill in that that they just didn't have at that time. That was just... Again, the 96 team was probably the worst of the Magic's championship caliber teams. And while it, it is nice to believe that the Magic were extremely close to winning a championship, the reality is they were probably the closest to winning a title in their franchise's history, to be honest. when If Nick Anderson could have hit one of those free throws. It's not that Orlando let the wrong people go entering after the 95 season. Orlando just didn't add anything to the roster to make them better. To take on the teams that were gunning for them. Whether it was the Bulls adding Dennis Rodman. Or the Sonics kind of building themselves back up to get over the hump and into the finals. The Magic were still a very good team. A very talented team with a very bright future. But in 1996 they were not championship ready. And unfortunately, we never got to see what a more focused, inspired perhaps and hungry Magic team would have looked like in 1997. But that 96 team was not a championship team. And that's just the reality that the Bulls made abundantly clear with their sweep in 1996. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked On Magic. Of course, follow me on Twitter at r underscore md. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Magic. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, tune in, Himalay, Google Play, Spotify, and all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. Be sure to check out the previous version, previous edition of our What If uh, in our archives as I spoke with Adam Morris about a What If series between the Orlando Magic and Denver Nuggets in 2009. Uh, it's an interesting conversation. I think a much well, I do think the Magic Sonics would be very competitive. Um, I think the Magic probably had a better chance of beating the 2009 Nuggets than the Magic than the '96 Magic would have of beating the '96 Sonics. But that's neither here nor there. Love to know your thoughts on this series, on this what-if series. If you think the Magic would have beaten the Sonics or not, what you remember about that 96 team, Be sure to leave. You can leave comments for me uh, on Twitter at LockedOnMagic. But that's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked On Magic. For Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic, this has been Philip Reich I'll See you all again next time for another episode of Locked On Magic.
0: You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.